And I don't know about you, but this series has felt a little bit like leg day at the gym. Anyone else? Like, I know it's important to work the legs, but sometimes I'm like, I just would rather do arms today. Uh, But it's kind of like that muscle that you cannot neglect if you developed muscle atrophy in this area, especially the bride of Christ. If, If we develop muscle atrophy in the area of generosity in a world that has given itself over to narcissism and self centeredness and materialism and greed, we have some issues on hand. And so we wanna be a a beacon of hope and light in the world that says, hey, this is, this is how God has called us to live. And so we have in this series, uh, we are addressing this idea of living open to the things of God. That's the whole idea. The series is called Open. And in week one, we talked about living with an open mind, that faith, it requires reason that it doesn't require you to check your logic at the door. It's not showing up and, and walking through these doors and and going dormant in your mind. No, there is a a brilliance to this faith. And what you find is generosity is a genius way of living. And so we talked about opening our minds. And week two, we talked about living with an open heart. That, you know, generosity is not just a heart's decision. Generosity reveals your heart's condition. That what you are doing is indicative of how you are doing. And so we addressed this idea that generosity is not a wealth issue. It's a health issue. And then last week, we talked about living with open hands and recognizing that whatever we hold on to, though it may seem insignificant to us and trusted into the hands of our God, it has the ability to play a part in his redemptive work in the world. And somehow God does miracles and God multiplies and God utilizes what we entrust him with all to accomplish his purpose in the world. And saying, God, I'm just gonna live with open hands to you, amen? And today... We are talking about being open 24-7. Anyone like a restaurant or a store that is open 24-7? Like, think of like Perkins. Now, this is not, you know, casting shade at Perkins. I love me some Perkins, but it's never like the top option. It's never like option one. It's, it's kind of like the default option. Everything else is closed. Let's just stop in at Perkins. And it always hits, right? It just, you know, it hits the spot. And I think what happens is, is you, I at least, grow in appreciation for places that are open 24-7. And I think God grows in appreciation for his children who are just open 24-7. Hey, no matter what I'm going through, no matter what I'm facing, no matter where I'm at in life, I... Uh, I'm just open to the things of God. Whether it's a good season or whether it's a bad season, I remain open all the time. And I just think that's the mark of spiritual maturity. Not just honoring God and living faithfully when things are going well and easy. And not just honoring God when you're on the mountain peaks of life. But no, I honor God in the valleys. I honor God when I'm facing health issues. I honor God when I'm going through professional transition. I honor God when my child is bouting something in life. I honor God despite what I'm facing because I know that he's good. So whatever season I'm in, I'm always open to the things of God. Can I get an amen, church? Let's just stay open to the things of God. And in this series, we are at the halfway mark of our first initiative, something that was launched last year in which we are placing God first and making him preeminent in our life. And the number one goal in all of this is 100% engagement. 
It's just saying, hey, what would happen if every single one of us played our part? What would happen if God were to tap every single one of us on the heart and say, hey, I, I want you to be a part of this. And I am inviting you into my work within humanity, within this community, and you're gonna get down the road and discover, oh, what a privilege and what a joy that I got to link arms with those believers for such a time as this. And here's the deal, next week is going to be a historic, a historic weekend in the life of our church uh, because next weekend is commitment weekend where we're coming together and saying, hey, we're, we're making commitments for the second half and what God seeks to do next in and through our church. And here's what I would say. One, everyone can do something. Come on, next week, everyone can do something. Even the children can do something. I would also say some can do more, right? That there is an impulse within the hearts of many that's like, hey, in this season, God is, he is ratcheting up my confidence and, and I am going in at a higher level with God. And then few can do the unthinkable. And I just, I just sense in my heart that this is legacy season for some people in our church. And I just think we're gonna see God do miracles and wonderful things because there are people among us who are taking God at his word and they are, I mean, they are just doing it. They are accomplishing miraculous things in and through their faith. And so wherever you find yourself, let's all just play our part, amen? Recently, I was having a conversation with my daughter, Presley. She's four years old. And uh, Presley is the type that when she tells a story, she gets really excited about it and she is unwavering in her eye contact. I mean, she will just stare into the depths of your soul. And so I'm talking to Presley. She's telling me this story. And then in the middle of her story, she stops and she goes, Dad, I'm in your eyes. And I said, what do you mean? And she goes, I can see myself in your eyes. And in that moment, as she was making eye contact, she could see her reflection in my eyes. And I said, Presley, you're always on my eyes. You're just taking a moment to look into them to see it for yourself. And I love precious eye contact moments with my kids. And I, I say that because I do believe as followers of Christ, when you and I stare into the pages of scripture, it is the equivalent of making eye contact with our heavenly father. And it's a beautiful thing in which we discover he's a, he's a good father and he never takes his eyes off of us. And though we get distracted, we come back to our God and we're like, oh, he's still looking out for me. And we're thankful for a father who just keeps his eyes on us. When we go to the pages of scripture, think about it in an intimate way. This is the equivalent of me making eye contact with my heavenly father. And if there's anyone I wanna see eye to eye with, it's my creator, amen. Today we're gonna look at a passage in scripture that I think is, is just amazing. And it's a, an address to a church and it, it centers around this idea of generosity. And look how it just picks up. And this is loaded. I'm gonna say a lot of things about every single one of these verses. He says, and now brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the, say it with me, grace that God has given the Macedonian churches in the midst. I love that statement. You should just know if you follow Christ, your life is going to be marked with in the midst type of moments. You're gonna follow Christ and you're gonna be like, man, it was in the midst of cancer that God did something amazing in my life. 
It was in the midst of pain or betrayal that God showed up. It was in the midst of confusion and looking for wisdom that God imparted something true in my life. It was in the midst of chaos that God showed up in our nation and brought about a great awakening. It was in the midst. You know what I'm saying? Like there's all these in the midst statements that you live just with this optimism and this anticipation that no matter what I'm going through, I'm going through it with a God who is good, who is faithful. And so even when I'm down to nothing, I am confident he's always up to something, amen? In the midst, now watch this because this seems like a contradiction. In the midst of a very severe trial, there overflowing joy. It makes you almost think maybe someone in the back messed up typing the verse. In the midst of severe trial, they're overflowing joy. And here's what I've discovered in life, and maybe you can relate to this. I find that the people with a smile on their face are some of the strongest people you'll ever meet. Everybody has problems. Everybody's going through struggles. Everyone has relationship dynamics. Everyone has an annoying boss or an annoying coworker. And everybody has children that they're trying to figure out how to raise and money that they're figuring out how to steward. Everybody has tensions. Everybody has inconvenience. But the strong among, among us, they have a smile on their face. And they have a supernatural joy within their heart that is producing an expression in their life that doesn't seem to make sense. And I love this. And I think as followers of Christ, this is where we stand out in the world. We suffer well. We suffer well. No matter what we're enduring, there's still something in us that's enjoying the goodness of our God. And so despite severe trials, they're overflowing joy. And their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. Again, is someone messing up the verse? Their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. That doesn't make sense. And I don't know for you, but for me personally, I wanna live a life with Christ that when all is said and done, when people tell my story, I want it to be confusing and hard to tell. Don't, I mean, don't you wanna be that kind of church where it's like, I don't know how to explain this, but those people were nuts and they took God at his word and God did something among them that didn't seem to make sense. I wanna live that type of faith. I wanna be a part of that type of movement that in extreme poverty, they welled up with rich generosity. Going on, for I testify that they gave as much as they were able, and then here it gets confusing again, and even beyond their ability, which some of you, you, you've discovered this already. You trust God, you take him at his word, and he'll do things in your life that don't add up on a, cal uh, a calculator. It's like, I don't know how to explain it. God is just faithful, entirely on their own, and they urgently pleaded with us. In other words, they, they moved immediately to action and with strong emotions and requests with us for the privilege of sharing in this service of the Lord's people. He goes on to tell us, and they exceeded our expectations. I love that. We live in a world that overpromises and underdelivers. Yet we serve a God who, if anything, underpromised and overdelivered. 
Jesus showed up, said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and I've come to pay ransom for humanity and to offer salvation for the sins of the world. Wow. But then he even goes above and beyond that. He not only paid for our sins, but he meets with us daily and he walks alongside us through this life and he is good and he is faithful and his grace is sufficient and his peace surpasses understanding and his joy is empowering. If anything, our savior under promises and over delivers. And I just think as followers of Christ, if we're gonna reflect Christ, we need to be individuals who over deliver. We're just individuals who exceed expectations. We're individuals who raise the bar and bear the standard. That's how we're supposed to operate in the world. And it says, they exceeded our expectations and they gave themselves first, which is the lotus statement at this church, right? Because this is our first initiative. God is preeminent. God is our priority. He comes before all things. That's why in terms of giving and finances, every spending decision is a spiritual decision because it, it shows where God is at in the pecking order of your life. And then by the will of God also to us. So we urge Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to the completion this act of grace. There it is again. We're, we're talking about generosity in this season, uh, but grace is a consistent theme along with it. But since you excel in everything, basically he's saying, hey, church, you are knocking it out of the park. You excel in all these areas, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love we have kindled in you. See that you also excel in this grace of giving. He comes to this church and he's like, my goodness, this is a great church. I mean, you're knocking it out of the park in this area and you're knocking it out of the park in this area and I just get the feeling you're ready for your next assignment and you're ready for the next opportunity to grow in your faith in the same way you've been faithful in these other areas. You should be faithful in this area. And I love that. I think true followers of Christ, they live with a growth mentality. I think true followers of Christ embrace and even delight their own development. I just, God, would you just continue to make me aware of dormant potential in my life? And God, would you make me aware of the areas in my life in which you seek to develop and you wanna see me grow in stature? And I think some of you in this season, you're gonna find that this conversation is catalytic because you're gonna be like, man, I was thriving in this area. I became a student of God's word. I, I became disciplined in the life of prayer. I started serving others around me and I was growing in all these areas. And then I grew and I said, yes. And I stepped out in this area of generosity. I, I just think that's fascinating. And he says, I am not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness. Now stop here for a second. I, I love giving people handles when it comes to reading the Bible. So I'll say things like, hey, always ask yourself, who am I in the text? Always ask yourself, what does this teach me about my God? I always tell people, highlight the verbs, stare at them because those imply your action steps. But one thing I would do if I were you reading the Bible, I would slow down and I would define the strong language. 
I mean, you can read a passage and yeah, like in this verse here, the word sincerity. Yeah, we all know what the word sincerity means, but take a second and actually write down the definition. Because the definition says sincerity is to be freed of pretense, hypocrisy, right? And it's like, okay, like I wanna be freed of those things. I don't wanna play it. I don't wanna fake it. I want this to be a genuine act of who I am. It says in their sincerity and in their earnestness. I would, I would define the strong language and stare at it. Slow down and get to understand the emotional, psychological well-being of the people we're studying. When you go deeper, I'm telling you, going deeper is the key to going higher. Slow down and stare at some of this stuff. And he says, four, you know, here it is again, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake, he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. I mean, that is, that is such a great story. Folks, as followers of Christ, we are storytellers. It's every single one of us living in union with God. It's every single one of us pursuing Christ and every single one of us living as a testimony to the world around us. This is what God can do in the lives of anyone who takes him at his word. This is my story. We're storytellers. And I believe testimonies are always best when shared. And every single one of us has a testimony. And every single one of us has a testimony that's still being written. And I think sometimes it's recognizing, hey, God's doing something in my life that is shaping a message that he's trying to articulate to the world. What is your story? What is your testimony? And what I've discovered is there's a good chance your testimony will come with a test of money. That's pretty good. I should have put that one on the screen. <laughs> I don't know what your experience has been, but I have discovered, Chris and I talk about this often, most of our defining moments were giving moments. There are individuals, uh, moments where we said, okay, God, we're just, we're taking you out of your word. And folks, I just think this is an opportunity for us to continue growing as followers of Christ. And no, anytime we gather and anytime we have conversations like this, this is really important to understand. Our goal is to become a better church, not just a bigger church. My goodness, I wanna have an unrelenting pursuit of those who don't know Jesus Christ. I wanna reach as many people as possible. But at the end of the day, I just want us to be a better church that is so focused on growing as followers of Christ and being a healthy, vibrant, life-giving church that reflects God and articulates his word to the world around us with accuracy. And I just, yeah. And here's the thing. God's a good steward. I mean, he's a great steward. And one of the things he stewards well is influence. And I just think if we just continue to focus on being a better church, we'll find that over time, God will entrust us with more influence. But it's just saying, hey, I just, I wanna be a better church. One thing that makes us a great church, one thing that I love about Northview, and I pray is always the case with our church, is we are a multi-generational church church. 
I think any church that leans towards one generation and is lopsided, uh, I think misses the mark. I think what makes the church so special is we specialize in efforts from the cradle, excuse me, to the grave. The whole arc of human life and the whole arc of human life should always be represented within a body of believers. I pray we are always a multi-generational church. I was talking to a friend who, they're in their 60s, 70s, and uh, they live in Minnesota, and we were talking about some of the stuff, and, and they made the statement that sometimes the, the concern of the older generation is being left behind. And I, I just started laughing when they said that, and almost to where I couldn't take what they were saying serious. And I said, that's just, that's just funny that that would be anyone's mentality because that implies that they are being passed up. And the folks I pastor, if they're running next to anyone on the track, it's just because they're about to lap them. I'm just telling you, our established generation within this church is the standard bearer. They set the pace, they raise the bar, they bear the standard, and they are a remarkable generation that has paved the way for the last few decades for our church. I mean, it's amazing when you wanna look at who's, setting the pace and standard when it comes to generosity, faithfulness, wisdom. I'm telling you, you look at these baby boomers in our church. We are blessed with remarkable, remarkable heroes in our church. And I think for those of us who come behind such heroic individuals, we ought to be inspired and we ought to be challenged. Hey, it's my turn to play a part and to step up and to follow suit because this church has a 44-year history of remarkable faithfulness, and we've got next. You know, I don't know what it's like in your family, but a few years ago, there was a dynamic shift in, in our family, both on my side and on Kristen's side. My father-in-law and my dad, um, both are tight with their money. Anyone else, that's the guy you were raised by, just tight with their money, but on occasion, there was this formality that when we would be out to dinner as a family, dad would pick up the tab. My father-in-law would pick up the tab. And then a few years ago, we're all out as a family, and I picked up the tab. And folks, I've been picking it up ever since. <laughs> These guys have gotten really comfortable. Every time we go to order, I just sense revenge. Like they are paying me back with their order. Like, why do you need two sides? Um, <laughs> but I say that because here's the deal. If you're a millennial or you're Gen Z, it's time you start picking up the tab. No more freeloading. There has been a path laid out and a trail blazed by those who came before us, and it is time for the next generation to rise up and to take their rightful place as leaders and standard bearers within this body of believers, amen? This is a multi-generational church, and I'm telling you, the baby boomers have it locked down. The younger generations can get on board. We'll see God do something in our community that would change the game. Here's what's interesting to me about the, the money conversation. As a pastor, I get invited, I mean, this is incredible stuff, to be a part of some really big moments in people's lives. 
individuals have a, a newborn baby and they ask me to, to show up and dedicate the child. Hey, right off the bat, early on, we wanna make it known we are entrusting our child into the tender care of our heavenly father. We are dedicating our child unto God. We recognize God loves this child more than we love this child. Would you join us and would you help us dedicate our child to him? It's a, it's a big moment. I also get to be invited into spaces where an individual has passed away and stepped into eternity. And individuals will say, hey, pastor, will you come and do the funeral? And will you speak a blessing? And will you declare with confidence our assurance that we know they are in a better place and that they are in eternity with God because we trust their eternal soul into the tender care of our God? Would you speak a moment at our service? I get to be a, a part of weddings where individuals say, hey, I'm gonna stand in front of anyone and everyone, family members and coworkers and friends and peers and strange uncles and grumpy aunties. I'm gonna get everybody together and I'm gonna stand at an altar and I am going to make the biggest promises I've ever made in my life till death do us part for richer, for poor, in sickness and in health. I want everyone to know and I want God's blessing on this union. We are dedicating our marriage to God. Would you be a part of this moment? And would you help us make clear we are entrusting God with our marriage? It's amazing. People will trust God with their, the lives of their child, trust God with their eternity, trust God with their marriage. But the moment you bring up the money conversation, people start to draw the line. That's a strange dynamic. And we have to consider what is that communicating? Why can I trust God in all these other areas, but I draw the line here? And here's what I would say. If you can't trust God with your money, you can't trust God with your life. Let's just call it like it is. If you can't trust God with your money, you can't trust God with your life. And it's just recognizing he's good, he's faithful, and maybe I need to take him at his word. Here's something that I think, I know my, a lot of times my role as a pastor is just to bring things to the surface for us to look at and stare at in the mirror. And here are two things. Which one gives you more anxiety? If you were to wake up tomorrow and discover there is no God of the Bible, there is no truth, there is no salvation for the sins of the world, there is no eternity, there is no purpose in this life, we are all just random individuals on a speck of dust in some random galaxy. And when it's over, it's over. There is no God of the Bible, no hope, no nothing. Or would it give you more anxiety to wake up and discover there is no money in the bank? And I just think sometimes it's just asking really courageous questions. Where am I really at? And I think a lot of people, they would be more disheartened by option number two than option number one. And so it's just learning to lean into our development and say, God, this is clearly a dynamic at play in my soul. Would you help me address it? Because here's the deal, what you discover is the better you and I get at giving, the better we get at living. You just start to discover, man, this is so fulfilling. This is energizing. This is exhilarating. This puts joy in my heart and this makes a difference in the world. This is a ton of fun. You start to realize the better you get at giving, 
the better you get at living. And I love when Paul is talking about the Macedonian church and their heart and their desire to give. What's the word he uses? They've seen it as a privilege. And folks, here's the deal. The joy of giving is found in the privilege, not the provision. No, that's so shallow. It's not like, oh, I gave this to God, so hopefully he'll do this for me. No, it's God extended an invitation to you and I to be a part of his redemptive plan in the world. He didn't need our help, but for whatever reason, he invites us to join him in his work. What a privilege. Oh my goodness, it's amazing. And what is interesting, and when I was reading that passage, what was I trying to get you to focus on? The idea of grace that grace and giving go hand in hand. And here's what I've discovered. And if you pay attention, you'll see this as well. Wherever there is a lack of generosity, it's not a giving problem. No, that's symptomatic. Where there's a lack of generosity, it's not a giving problem. It is a gospel problem. Wherever there is a lack of generosity, it's just like, oh, that's just someone who is still discovering the full magnitude and the accurate measure of the gospel. They just fully haven't wrapped their mind around the fact that our Savior left perfection, stepped down from his throne, walked away from adoring angels, and he left an exalted throne and stepped into a broken world of evil and wickedness and imperfection. And he took upon our shame and like an ultimate sponge, he hung on a cross and he absorbed every ounce of God's righteous wrath. And he paid the penalty and the ransom and he snatched the keys from hell and he has provided freedom and eternal salvation for every single one of us free of charge. That is insane generosity. And when you understand the gospel, it's like, oh my goodness, I want in. I, wanna, I just wanna be a part of everything this guy is doing in the world. He is fascinating and powerful. He is brilliant and he is creative. He is redemptive and he is making a difference. And for whatever reason, he's asking me and inviting me to be a part of his story and on his team. Oh, I'm saying yes to that. And here's the deal. Sometimes when we, we talk about generosity, we miss it. We focus on superficial things. And know this, when it comes to generosity, our goal is not to accumulate great things. No, that's how culture would want us to understand it. It isn't just so we can have more properties and have nice possessions. No, that's shallow. Our goal is not to accumulate great things. Our goal is to accomplish great things. I wanna be a part of what God does next in the world. I wanna get down the road in our journey and our story and be like, wow, look what God did. And he gave us courtside seats to witness it all. What an amazing God. And what is fascinating is God, he extends this invitation, but his invitation comes with some really bizarre instructions. This is something I poke at a lot. In fact, at our worship nights, I even talked about this. I think God has at times some really bad strategies. Anyone else, you're like, God, that's, that's your plan? Like the story of Jericho and Joshua and the walls coming down. How are we gonna win this battle? 
God's like, we're gonna send in the marching band. That's a terrible war strategy, right? But what did we talk about? We said, hey, in order to experience God's strength, you have to embrace God's strategy. God has some strange strategies. And a working you know, principle around our church is God accomplishes the impossible when we attempt the improbable. I, I just think God does this. He puts us in positions where no person can take credit for it. And he gets all the glory. And we just get to sit back and be like, wow, look what God did. Look at what God did. This is a strange strategy, but God seems to be in it. And I think about that when I think about the season we are in as a church. We are just coming out of a year of succession in which we got to see our hero and legendary pastor, Pastor Steve Poe, after 23 years of remarkable, godly, humble, integrity-filled leadership, cross the finish line in remarkable fashion. I mean, we're just coming off of that year. And in that final year, in one big final act of obedience, Pastor Steve felt the Lord put upon his heart to launch this first initiative and to rally the troops and to get the church to commit to playing their part in which our church came to the table committing to giving $78 million. Then Pastor Steve went on sabbatical, came back and had a send-off party. (laughs) And now it's the new guy's job to walk it across the finish line. My first task as your senior pastor, go out there and raise $78 million. (laughs) That's hilarious. I don't have 23 years of relational equity with you folks. Like I'm just a guy who loves Jesus, enjoys teaching the Bible and finds that I align with the way you think and I'm just sensing God doing something similar and I'm just excited to be here. I I don't know what God's gonna do next. But some would say, really? Coming out of a pandemic and a succession year, you're gonna launch an initiative like this? Yeah, if God says so, let's see what he can do next, right? And listen, I I don't know how this is gonna play out, but I just have this growing optimism that God is up to profound things in our church. And who knows, the pressure's not on us, right? We just get to play a part and see what God does next. And Paul is, he's kind of creating a tension. He's saying, folks, you're, you're a great church, but you should know about this Macedonian church. And he is saying, and he actually says, he said, I'm telling you this to test the sincerity and the earnestness of your faith. He is creating a healthy contrast. I think sometimes we fall into an unproductive comparison trap because we're comparing ourselves to the wrong individuals. I think sometimes comparison is healthy. Scripture even says we, we should spur each other on. We should inspire and challenge and encourage one another to raise the bar and to live at greater levels of faith for Christ, amen? And it's, he's just saying, hey, look at what they're doing. Does that in any way inspire you? It makes me think of the other day, we were sitting at the kitchen table, we're eating and it's Chris and I and our four kids And I got to talking about something. I'm a talker, if you haven't picked up on that. And uh, in the middle of my rant, I noticed a dynamic around the table. 
All the kids started making eye contact and they all looked at Kristen and Kristen like looked and like nodded her head with like a smirk. Like they all knew something was happening and I wasn't aware of it. And in that moment, I recognized, wait a second, Kristen has a connection with them that I don't have. And it hit me. Is Kristen becoming the cool parent in my house? <laughs> like I grew up my whole life wanting to be a dad. I was just inspired by a great dad. I'm like, that seems like a cool job. I wanna do that. And I just always assumed I would be the cool parent. And I'm finding out right now, I'm not. Kristen's the cool parent in the house. I went to bed thinking, man, I'm waking up. I'm getting donuts. I'm letting them skip school today. <laughs> I am taking back some ground. <laughs> Anyone else, you're competitive. It's like, oh, bring it on. We can do that. And folks, here's where I'm at. When I read this passage, here's what I think. If Macedonians could do it, Indianans could do it. Like, I don't know if this is good grammar. I don't know if this is what we call ourselves. But all I'm saying is the competitive side to me is like, bring it on. God, what is so encouraging about the Bible is you use knuckleheads to do amazing things. So maybe you could use some ragamuffins like us to do the same. God, just bring it on. And, and here's the tension that I sometimes run into. I love creating distinctions. I think small distinctions make a big difference. And I sometimes, hear me on this, I sometimes feel a tension between being a good leader and being a good pastor. Sometimes I feel, like I love organizational leadership. I geek out over this stuff. I love talking systems and strategy, lead measures and lag measures and organizational structures. All that stuff is fascinating to me. But more important than properties and programs, I care about people in prayer. And you can ask my staff, like I am a walking disruption. I am surrounded by some of the brightest, most talented people I've ever met who are so gifted and, and skilled in ways that I'm not, who are just diligent and faithful and committed to their work, who are just accomplishing great things in and through our church. And I show up in the meetings and they're all so professional and I'm just so pastoral. And I'm like, okay, okay, okay. but what's God doing in your heart? And how can we pray together? And sometimes I feel a tension of like, do I be a good leader or should I just be a good pastor? And you should just know for me, I, the pastoral hat always trumps the leader hat in my life. If those two ever come in, I'm, like, I just, I'm gonna aim to be a good pastor. And here's the thing that some would think is crazy to say a week before commitment weekend. There's a big difference between revelation and exhortation. Now track with me, this is a pastoral moment, but this is key. Revelation is getting someone to see something. Exhortation is getting someone to do something. See, the doctrine of revelation is fascinating. It basically claims our God makes himself known. He doesn't have to, he doesn't owe us this. But he is so committed to a relationship with us that he is constantly revealing himself to us and making himself known. And it's not that God is incomprehensible as much as it is God is infinitely, hear me on this, he is infinitely understandable. 
It's not like God's trying to hide out so we can't understand him. No, it's just that you can wake up every single day of your life and have a discovery with God and wake up the next day and have a discovery with God and wake up the next day and have a discovery with God and you'll never get to the full depths of who he is. He is infinitely understandable. He is a big deal. And I think when it comes to, when it comes to preaching, I think exhortation is an overused option. I, I think in terms of like boxing, revelation is the jab and exhortation is the right hook. But sometimes in pulpits, exhortation becomes the jab and it's revelation is the hook. And what I've discovered, I remember early on, I wrote this in a journal just kind of being critical of my own preaching and discovering some things in my approach to the pulpit. And I wrote this in my journal. Good preaching doesn't always come with a good sermon. Man, I would get up there and I'd preach my tail off. I'd have some enthusiasm and some cute statements. I'd have some good illustrations. It would be creative. I would land some jokes. I'd get an applause. I'd make them laugh. But I'd walk off the platform and I'd be like, Ugh. but did I connect them to God? Did they see him in a different way? Was it good preaching, but not a good sermon? Did it awaken something in their soul? And I think sometimes you can hear some good preaching that doesn't come with a good sermon. And my job is to every single week, just take full advantage of the privilege I have to open up the divinely inspired word of God and to just help us see him better. Folks, that's it. And so in most cases, the week before commitment weekend would be an exhortation. And I just don't think that's appropriate. I just think it's, it's just a revelation conversation. What is God opening your eyes to? Because here's the deal, my job, and this is what I believe, my job is not to operate your hands. My job is to open your eyes. And here's what I wanna open your eyes to. Paul is talking about extreme, radical, unnerving, world-changing generosity. And there's this one statement, again, you gotta go home and read your own Bible, where Paul says, and this is not commanded. This is not commanded. It's amazing. Anytime you come to this conversation, people are looking for a loophole. How do I get out of this? Here's your loophole. This is not commanded. What Paul is saying is this is commended. Yeah, we could apply some pressure. Yeah, we could leverage some things emotionally and we could maybe even fall into some manipulation. We could try to force them to do it. No, 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 no. Can we just talk about what heaven celebrates? Let's, let's not even focus on pressure. Can we talk about fulfillment? Let's, let's not talk about giving out of compulsion or out of negativity or guilt. Can we just talk about giving out of privilege and desire to see God do amazing things and 
can we just talk about giving out of joy? This is not commanded. Pressure's off. Those of you who don't wanna participate, don't participate. But those of you who you just sense God awakening something in your heart, you just do what God is telling you to do. You just do what God tells you to do. God's the ultimate mathematician and he knows what he's putting on your heart and he knows what he's putting on my heart and he knows what he's putting on your heart and he knows the math. And when we all just come to the table as faithful and obedient servants of the most high king, it all adds up. We don't need an exhortation. We just need a revelation. God is good. God is faithful. God is on the move and God is inviting us to be a part of it. Amen. This is amazing. I am with this. Kristen is, guys, I'm married so well. Yeah, she's pretty, but she's dynamic and she's funny and she's, she's comically honest. And she, is, she has this extreme accuracy to her intuition. And she's tough and she's brave and I just love this person. And one of our things is I like windshield time. I like road trips. I feel like God puts me in a productive space where I can't get out of my seat and I can't let go of this wheel. And God just works in my life. And a lot of times we're just driving down the road and we just listen to music. We won't even talk. And we'll go an hour, two hours, not even talking, just listening to music. We subscribe to all these random playlists and one day we're driving and the song comes on and at the time we had never heard it. And it was talking about the power in the name of Jesus, which my goodness, some of you need to discover and begin declaring the powerful name of Jesus over your life. And in it, it's talking about the mountains and the obstacles that we face. And the bridge says, listen to the sound of power on our lips. For Jesus has broken the curse and he has never lost a battle. And then it follows it up with my favorite lyric. And it says, and who are you great mountain that you should not bow low? Jesus has broken the curse and he has never lost a battle. And it builds and it's like, and who are you great mountain? And I love that. Whatever mountain you're staring at, I don't care how big you look, my God's bigger. Who are you, great mountain, that you should not bow low? And the song is playing. And there came this moment where without even talking, it was just like we were having a conversation without words. Driving down the road, Kristen and I both almost simultaneously reached out and gave each other knuckles. It was awesome. It was like, that's my person. Give me some knuckles. You're picking up on what I'm picking up on. And I just thought to myself, that's my person. And I say that because God is doing something in our church. I certainly can't take credit for it, but it's profound. And I just get the feeling we are having a conversation collectively without words. 
And I feel like we should be giving fist pumps, recognizing these are my people and they're picking up on the same thing I'm picking up on and God's about to do something in and through our life. Bring it on. These are my people and this is our season. Can we give God some praise? Outstanding. <laughs>